First Colossians, Colossians 1, 28 and 29. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. This is the word of the Lord. Well, we have just finished up and kind of walked through um, a pretty important season in the life of our church. And I would really encourage you to go to our website and sort of replay some of that grief and glory as we have just processed together the grief that we've experienced as a congregation. Um, today uh, is a very special day um, in the life of my family and myself. Um, today marks uh, the eight-year anniversary of me stepping into the leadership and pastor here at Westside. And so, yeah, woohoo! Great day, man. We're excited. And so um, today, I just, today is a completely and 100% selfish sermon that I want to preach, okay? So if you got a problem with it, you can send me an email. I am not going to read it, okay? All right? Um, but just to let you know what's coming up, um, through the month of August, we are going to start a series entitled Defining Moments. Um, this is just a little bit of a window until we get into September and our big fall push with all of our ministries rolling out. And we will be doing an incredible vision series that I believe that God has given me a word and a vision for this church. But in the month of August, I really and firmly believe that the season that we are in at Westside is a defining moment for our church. Um, I literally believe that how we handle the next two years and primarily this year, 2022 and 2023, will define the next 10 years of our congregation. And so just please invite your friends to come and be a part of this as we look at the defining moments. Um, as I think about the emotions and the nostalgia and everything, when I think about um, eight years here at the church, there's a lot of emotions. Um, the first one is, is that the average tenure of a pastor at a church is about two and a half years. So your boy's above average, okay? All right? So I'm, I'm, that's, that's the first thing, okay? Right? I've beat the average, okay? But um, as I think about it and, and play it back, the congregation and those of you that are here now and in this room and, and who are members, our congregation has gone through so many seasons and changes. And this is not the same church that it was pre-COVID, that it was four years ago, five, six, and definitely not the same church eight years ago. And so um, I had a lot of people say, man, I've never really known the story. How, how did you come here to Westside? And what's interesting with the defining moments is my family was in a very defining moment in our life. Um, we had served in student ministry for a number of years. We were in South County, St. Louis for a couple of years, had very dear friends serving in student ministry. We moved back uh, here to Popper Bluff to be a part of a new church plant, and they wanted us to be the uh, student directors there. And so we had been serving for a number of years, and I was going through, I wouldn't say a theological shift in my life, but the Lord was just stirring something. We had had our first son, Roman, 
And, uh, you know, I, here's how I describe it. I, I get a lot of guys that say, hey, you made the transition from student ministry to lead pastor. What's that like? What are some signs that I should be looking for? And I said, well, man, I don't really have anything theologically profound, but I can tell you this. I realized that maybe things were changing when I wasn't excited to spend eight hours at Six Flags anymore, okay? And I started reading these theological books as to how does the Lord structure a church and, and what does it mean uh, to be the church and all of these requirements for a pastor. And we were just in a standstill. And so I resigned in the position at the church that I was at, had no idea what was coming for us in the future. What I was going to do is I was going to pack my family up. We were going to go back to St. Louis and I was going to finish my seminary education there at Covenant Theological Seminary. And two profound things happened in that moment. I got a call from a mega giga church in Bethel, Indiana, looking for a student pastor. And the irony of it was, is it was everything that we had hoped and dreamed of, of being in student ministry. I mean, this was a church of over 5,000 people, multiple campuses, and they were like, man, you know, you'll, you'll have these three locations, this, that, and the other. Someone will drive you in a car from here to there, like all of this stuff. It was just insane. And so we went up there and we're interviewing, and I'll never forget the moment on the night before we came back. I just asked Courtney, what are you feeling? What do you think? And, and tears flowed down her cheek and she said, it's everything literally that we had asked God for in our life over these past couple of years. But I just don't feel that this is the place that God would have us to be. But I trust you to lead our family and we'll do whatever God's called you to do. <laughs> and so I just like passed out right there in the floor, you know. And so we came back home and we were in a season of fasting and I had gotten word that um, this church, Westside, needed someone to fill the pulpit, that, that their pastor had resigned and they were needing someone to preach on Sundays. And so I was kind of needing a job. <laughs> and the irony is, is that I called the church building and, and someone answered the phone. And now that I look back on that, that timing was just God's timing because there wasn't many people in and out of the church building during the week. And it was Megan Miller who I'd actually known and grown up going to church camp. And I said, hey, I had gotten information that I was to call here. And she said, that's so great. It's great to hear from you. We'll pass it along. And so I had preached a couple Sundays here just to fill the pulpit. Um, I loved preaching. And so I was filling the pulpit. And, and on the second Sunday... Um, they asked me to turn in my resume and to consider being the pastor here. And I said, that's so sweet. Absolutely not. Um, I, I just did not see myself in that season whatsoever. And so um, we were still interviewing up there at Bethel, Indiana. And I got a call from Brandon Miller, Megan's husband. And we talked for a while on the phone. And he said, hey, why don't you come and just meet with our board and spend some time together? And so after we talked for a while, we had a great conversation. He was like, hey, what would you do? What are you thinking? We came to the first interview here at the church. And um, I remember we were getting in the car to come here. And, and Courtney said, you're going to wear that? I was just in short sleeve, like basketball shorts. And I said, hey, listen, 
I'm, I'm not really chomping at the bit to lead, be a lead pastor, and this is who I am, okay? This is who I am. And so we came there to the interview, and what's interesting is, is, is our nursing room back there was actually uh, one big room, and, and it was where the youth met at the time. There was a big chalkboard there, and I was meeting with that board and, and the key members of the church. And, and it was just sort of softball questions. It was kind of like that awkward first date, right? Like, do you like me? Do I like you? We're not going to really ask big questions. And then Brandon Miller breaks the silence. Um, if you know Brandon, his nickname is No Filter, okay? So he just broke the silence and he said, well, why don't you just tell them everything you told me on the phone about how you'd change everything here? And I was like... Well, okay, here we go. This is either um, a sure way out, but we'll see. And so um, I just talked. I just said, you know, when I read the Bible, um, this is what I see. This is what I see in the scriptures. And uh, I'll never forget, I grabbed a piece of chalk, and I wrote three words on the chalkboard. Gospel, community, mission. And I drew a big circle around each of them. And I just walked through the gospel. I just said, this is what I see when I see the scriptures. And then I wrote elders and a church structure and all of those things. And, and I just was honest. And, and I said, you know, I know that you guys say that you're ready for change. There's a lot of things that I would change. And I'll never forget Miss Margaret, founding member of the church. Westside started in the basement of her and her husband Ted's home some 50 plus years ago. And she said, you keep saying that you're going to change it. What does that mean? What does that mean? And I said, Miss Margaret, you see that picture hanging there in the lobby? It's dedicated to so-and-so. Um, I'm going to take that down. <laughs> her eyes got big and she leaned back and she said, well, okay. <laughs> okay. So I kept talking. And then at the end, it was just silence. I'll never forget Paul Woods. He's also a founding member. Paul's gone to be with the Lord. Miss Margaret's gone to be with the Lord. Paul Woods could not hear a shotgun go off next to him. No way, right? And after I got through talking, Paul Woods said, I believe that's what we need. I've been here since its founding, and I remember our Easter cantatas. And we've got to do something. And I believe that that's what we need to do. And I turned and looked at Courtney and was like, what are we doing? <laughs> this is, they're agreeing with this. And like, we like each other and stuff is happening. And Miss um, Frida and Miss Margaret came up after the meeting. Miss Margaret gave us zucchini bread wrapped in tinfoil. And she said, I've been talking and praying. And I thought, oh, God. God answers her prayers. <laughs> like, oh, no. And Miss Frida's praying too. And like, oh, no. And, and Miss Margaret said, and I've just asked the Lord that you'd be our next pastor. I said, Miss Margaret, thank you so much. I said, you know, we're interviewing with this other church. And, you know, we're just being real honest with that. And so we fasted and, and, and prayed as a family together. 
And, and listen, I, the Lord's never spoken audibly to me personally before. I believe that he does that. But it was something that we could not shake this church and those people. And so we declined the offer there in Indiana and we met with the board again. We accepted the position. And then a few weeks later, the way that it was, they were ending their financial year and 25 votes were cast for me to be pastor and for my family to come here. And listen, that was everybody and their cousin in the church at the time. Everybody in the church. And the conversation that still just fills me with so much emotion is when Brandon informed me of their board meeting that they had when I wasn't there. And the Sunday attendance at the time was like 14, maybe 15, 20 people or something. They were in the board meeting and there was about $30,000 in the bank total. And they were just sitting there in silence and Brandon said that Ms. Frieda said, we need to go all in. And if we're going to do it, we're going to do it. And this church rolled the dice on a tattooed, far too young, 25, 26-year-old guy who had never been a lead pastor. And when I think about God's faithfulness and what he has done and, and the, the family that God has created here, I am blown away. My wife and I have always prayed that if we were to ever step into this position, that for this season in our life, that we want to pastor one church because we believe that God does something over a long period of time. And so I just want to share just some personal, this is just devotional today. Of When I look back over eight years, we had two kids at the time. I was so young. God, I was way too young, right? I was way too young. And, and to see the group of people, we were also in that season in our life, a part of a group and, and, and a community group that was living life. And we were all having kids together for the first time. And we were all really like reading the Bible and going, hey, let's just obey it and see what happens. Like what if it's that simple? And we were living life with each other. And when we met with those people that were in our community group, we met with them individually. And we said, hey, listen, this is what God is doing in our life. Um, we're, we're leaving our current assignment and we're going to this church. We are asking you not to come with us. This is not some rally cry and this, that, or the other. And we met with each of them individually. And then each one of them met with us individually and they said, we just really feel that God is calling us to go with you and to join you. And so we had the established church that was here and then our community of people that were living life together. And we started on this journey together. And I'll never forget just that first Sunday, our family was here and, and all of that, and, and everybody was excited. Guys, you just don't understand what it was like back in the day. I mean, we, we had trouble finding people to fill in for worship. We used to show YouTube videos um, in our worship service, and, and I would send the tech guy the video that we were going to have, and it was just one song, and then 
in. I would do announcements and then preach for like an hour. And then we would play another sort of YouTube song. And I would send him the videos. And one Sunday during Christmas, this video popped up after the first video. And I was like, huh, oh, this is interesting because I didn't, you know, sign off on this. And, and it was like the hustle and bustle of the season. And, and I realized it was like this little worship devotional video. And I was so excited. I was like, man, Jason's stepping out on a limb. The, the guy that was running the tech, he found this video and he put it into the service. This is awesome, man. This is so exciting. And at the end of the video... It closed and it said, you know, um, don't forget Jesus is the reason, you know, for the season. And then it faded to black and it popped up and a real loud voice said, this commercial has been sponsored by Jesus Christ of the Latter-day Saints. <laughs> and I grabbed the mic and I went, we don't believe that. <laughs> We're not Latter-day Saints. It was a commercial ad that had popped up and like, and it was just that, oh man, it was, it would, it used to be so silent in here during worship in between songs that you could hear a pin drop on stuff like that. And I just, I see Courtney would teach junior church while she was holding Andy and feeding another kid in a high chair. And we used to do these things called family dinners. And on Sunday nights, because the church got to a point when it was like 50 people and 60 people, the people that were here didn't know every single person on a Sunday morning. And that was like a big deal in the first time in a long time. So we would have meals in the back and discuss the sermon and just eat and everything like that. And so I just want to walk through maybe eight years, eight lessons. This is not everything. This is some of the stuff that the Lord has sort of done in my heart as I reflect over these eight years. The first thing is this. Being with Jesus is more important than accomplishing things for Jesus. Um, in Luke's gospel, it says this. The 72 returned with joy saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. They were so excited. Jesus sent them out on mission and they're performing miracles. They're doing incredible stuff and they come back and they're like, Jesus, you're not going to believe what we did. We casted out demons. We did these miracles. And Jesus, almost like a proud parent, like, it's, like I picture it in my mind, him smiling like, oh, that's so sweet. That's so nice. And then he says this, Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. I think looking back over these eight years, it was go mode. It was risks. It was... Um, I'll never forget when we went to two services and we're in Nehemiah and then the Colosseum and we're giving away money and we're doing all this stuff. And there was a time in my life, and I still fight this, that I thought being in ministry, the goal was, is to present Jesus with the big basket of fruit, of, of accomplished work and a checklist and look at everything that we did for you. And Jesus has no desire of that. Jesus' desire is to simply be with you, is to love you, and to be in a relationship with you. 
Um, I did some of the statistics. In eight years, I've averaged somewhere around 47 Sundays a year preaching. Only missed one Sunday due to sickness because of COVID. Shout out to Pastor TJ uh, who filled in for me. I've preached 368 sermons total. That's a ridiculous pace. None of that is sustainable. And I've realized now, slowing down and being with Jesus is by far the most important thing that I could do. The best mark of my ministry. And if I were to summarize it, I would say this. God is much more interested in my godliness than my giftedness. Much more interested. And the same goes for you and the same goes for this church. God is much more interested in being with us than us accomplishing things for him. The second thing is this. Jesus disappointed people, and so will I. That's okay. Um, There's this really interesting exchange in Luke's gospel, and it says this. And a ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and your mother. And he said, all these I've kept from my youth. Like, really? Like, that's what I feel like. I would have been in the crowd and went, nope. You know, like, uh, you know, I don't know about that. Then verse 22, when Jesus heard this, he said to them, one thing you still lack, sell all that you have and distribute to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. And then come and follow me. Here it is. But when he heard these things, he became very sad for he was extremely rich. And Jesus, seeing that he had become sad, said, how difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, now, break that down a little bit. It's almost like, Pastor Jason, Pastor Jason, oh man, we love you. Oh man, we love this church. Oh man, just tell us what we do to need to be a part of this. We want to be a part. Roo, roo, rah, rah, siskoon, fall. We're going to win. We're going to win. Like we're all about this. We are all for you, Pastor Jason. What do we need to do? When I first stepped into this position, I would have answered that any way that they wanted to hear. Because can I tell you something about your pastor? I'm a deeply insecure individual. And I struggle with my identity every day. My wife is probably the only person that knows. And I really genuinely thought that my job was for people to like me and to be nice. And now I understand this. That truth, that you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. That my number one job is to be a herald and a leader of truth for the things of God. And that internal conflict is an idol for me that I battle every day of my life. 
And so now I have to respond and know my identity and who Jesus is and to speak what Jesus has spoken. You know, I resonate so much now when I, when I read through the pastoral epistles and I see the Apostle Paul say things like, so then have I become your enemy because I tell you the truth? Through these eight years, I've sat at a table with my Bible open, board members with me, and had a conversation with a man who was ready to leave his wife and his family because of whatever some high school sweetheart he saw on Facebook. And I had to, with tears in my eyes, say, this is not God's will for your life. And I had to be on the receiving end of what came But I've also sat at a table with a Bible open, with board members and staff, and pled for someone to come to repentance and watch the Spirit of God break their calloused heart and then fall to their knees in repentance and restore an entire family together. Here's what I've learned over the years. If you live for people's approval you will die at their rejection. If every day of your life you live for an applause, you'll die when there's silence. But following that as well, I would say that with that comes, again, something that I struggle with and being in leadership, and I think it's just inherently the sin that men struggle with is passivity. When you look back in Genesis 3, it says that the enemy was having a conversation with Eve and Adam was next to her. And guys, it's just a little bit of a marriage advice. If you, if, if you overhear your wife talking to Satan, you can interrupt that conversation and you can step in, okay? You can say some stuff. But in that, we see that Adam was passive, And so when it comes to people liking you and having an idol and fighting that passivity, I can tell you this assuredly. The greatest mistakes that I have made in these eight years of being your pastor, I can look back to every one of them and know that when I made a decision based out of passivity and fear, it always ended in devastation. And so this is something I have written down in my moleskin that I go back to time and time again, and it's this. The pain of passivity is far greater than the pain of an initial conflict. Always. The pain that comes from putting something, a decision or a direction on the back burner in hopes that it will, quote, just work itself out, is far devastating than any pain that it takes to step out in leadership. The third thing that I would say is this. Nothing, nothing replaces daily Bible reading and prayer. Nothing. If there is anything that has kept me going, In eight years, it is Monday morning when I open my Bible and I grab a half sheet of five by seven paper and a pen and I read the text and I read that Bible and I beg God to speak and to give a word.
And then after reading that and rereading that, I close my Bible and I go to a chair and I kneel down beside it and I pray and I wrestle with God to do something and to make something happen. Listen, this church, as long as I'm the pastor here, will always be built on the Bible. It will always be built on the Bible. That's why in our service, the only thing, listen, I'm not heavy-handed in leadership, but listen, there are some things that people are not allowed to say through a microphone. And when we start our worship service, no one is allowed to say, well, how are y'all feeling this morning? How am I feeling? I don't even know if I'm saved. Like, what do you mean? How am I feeling? We don't start our worship service with how we feel. We start our worship service with, thus saith the Lord. That's how the Bible starts. In the beginning, God said, and worship is a response to revelation, to the word of God and the work of Christ. That's why we say the Lord's Prayer. That's why there's a moment in our service where everything stops and we read the text out loud. Do you know what we believe? We believe that when that's being read, we are hearing God audibly in the service. That God is speaking to us. That the God that created the cosmos and when the Hubble telescope sends back those pictures and all everybody, NASA is just ooing and awing. We believe that that God that created that wrote a book and that he's not silent. And then we get to talk to that God and pray one of the founding verses for us anytime we had a prayer meeting was Jeremiah 33, 3. Call to me and I will answer you and I will show you great and marvelous things that you have never, that you have never seen before. And we would pray and we would ask God to send people. I will never forget the first Sunday that I baptized someone in that baptistry. We cleaned out cobwebs in the baptistry. And we started it, and I flipped the switch for the heater, and it was in winter. And I came in Sunday morning, and that water was ice cold. I will never forget the first person I baptized, because when he came up out of that water, he went, like that. And I thought, man, that must be the Spirit, you know. No, it was not the Spirit. But listen, the fruit of that, the fruit of that has nothing to do with the messenger, It has nothing to do with me. It has everything to do with the message that the gospel works, that God can really save people if you just open up the Bible and unapologetically proclaim it. And the tough parts and the hard parts, when it completely counteracts our life and we don't make an excuse for it, there is nothing that replaces that. Someone asked Charles Spurgeon one day, Dear Mr. Spurgeon, what is more important there at the Metropolitan Tabernacle, the reading of the Bible or the prayers of the people? And Spurgeon in his wit said, my dear friend, which one is more important, breathing in or breathing out? Nothing will ever replace that. Nothing. The fourth thing is this. The goal of ministry is a quality of disciple makers not a quantity of disciples. The goal of ministry 
is a quality of disciple makers. Disciples who make disciples who make disciples. Not amassing a number of people or crowds or just decisions. Look at what it says in Colossians 1.28, what was read to you. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. And then look at what he says. For this I toil and struggle with all of his energy that he powerfully works within me. The Apostle Paul said, the goal of my ministry is maturity in believers, making disciple makers that make disciples. And listen, Marcel, I got to tell you, I didn't believe that in the beginning. I really thought it was just about trying to gather people. And listen, that's not bad. But if that's the end game, then that's what you get is just a mass number of people. And I'm just being honest today. There was a time when someone would come up to me and it was their first Sunday and they would say, oh my, we, oh, this is, we've never been to a church like, and you, my goodness, you're the most handsome. Pre-. No, they didn't say that. They're just like, oh my goodness, we, and you know, we've been, and we were a part of, you know, this church, and I'm not trying to knock, but, you know, I, I would believe that in the beginning. And now when that begins to happen, I just want to look at my watch and go, you know, it's only a matter of time until you say that about me. Until now, it's stale news here. Because the goal is not just amassing people. The goal is to make disciples who are leaders, who invest and make disciples. Did you know that according to Jesus, this thing, this thing was never supposed to be the majority You know that, right? That Jesus' own words, he says this in Matthew 7. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter that gate are many, for the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life. And those that find it are few, are few. And I wish that I could say that it doesn't hurt when I see people forfeit their faith and walk away. It's devastating. But the only hope that I have is to know that Jesus is building his church and that it's not about the majority. Listen, here's the sentence. The future of the church is found in the few, not the many. That Jesus had crowds of 250 that followed him. And then he had the 150. And then he had the 72. And then he had the 12 that were in the upper room. And those 12 are the reason why now in 2022, we are carrying the message in Popper Bluff, Missouri. That the future of the church is found in the few, not the many. Number five is this. The church is filled with the most broken and most beautiful people on earth. 
It's this place. The church is filled with the most broken and beautiful people on earth. I always love that in the beginning, you know, when, when people started flooding in and it was, you know, it's a small town. And so there's this person and then that person and then, you know, and then, oh, this person was doing this this week. Did you see? Did you see? Did you see what they were? Well, you know, you know, right? And having a conversation of, uh, I mean, you know, we love this church and all, but I mean, are you allowed to have, you know, those people? I'm, I'm sorry, could, could you break down the definition of those people, please, right? And then obviously at the end of the conversation, be like, yes, we allow them to come in and enter because we let you in, okay, <laughs> right? It's understanding that this place will always be for broken people. This is not, listen, this is not the church that if you want to up your social status in the town, this is not the church for you. If you're running for a political campaign and you just need to put down they're the member of blank, this is not the place for you. This is the place for broken people who know they're broken, who desperately need Jesus. That's what it is. I love what it says in 1 Corinthians. The Apostle Paul says, To the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, here it is, called to be saints. Do you understand the... The controversy of that? Paul called the church in Corinth saints. These people were getting drunk at communion and one guy was sleeping with his mother-in-law. And Paul called them saints because the church is for broken people. And can I say something here to my generation? Listen, my generation is quickly becoming known for criticizing everything and contributing to nothing. And it will decay the foundation of our society, but also the church. Listen, if your expectations are based of watching YouTube videos and these people in an upper room worshiping and hands raised, and you're always going, man, our church doesn't know how to worship, man. Look at that, man. One day, man, it's going to be. And you have an idea of, quote, unquote, the perfect church. One of my favorite quotes that I read time and time again, Spurgeon addressed this to his congregation about the expectation of the perfect church and arriving. And he said these words, give yourself to the church. You that are members of the church, you have not found it to be perfect. And I hope that you feel almost glad that you have not. If I had never joined a church till I had found one that was perfect, I would have never have joined one at all. And the moment I did join it, I would have ruined and spoiled it, for it would not have been perfect a perfect church after I had become a member of it. Still, imperfect as the church is, it is the dearest place on earth to us. All who have given themselves to the Lord should as quickly as possible also give themselves to the Lord's people. How else is there to be a church on earth? 
If it is right for anyone to refrain from membership in the church, it is right for everyone. And then the testimony for God would be lost to the whole world. As I have already said, the church is faulty. But that is no excuse for you to not join it. If you are the Lord's, nor need your own faults keep you back. For the church is not an institution for perfect people, but a sanctuary for sinners saved by grace, who though they are saved are still sinners and need all the help that they can derive from the sympathy and guidance from other believers. The church is the nursery for God's weak children where they are nourished and grow strong. It is the fold for Christ's sheep, the home for Christ's family. That is the church. Give yourself to it. It is filled with the most broken and beautiful people. When I think about the names that God has intersected my family's life to intersect with. And for my kids to see me around the caliber of men that I am around is something I will forever be grateful of in my life. And I noticed something reading through the scriptures. The Apostle Paul's view of himself as his ministry continued on when you read the pastoral epistles, it's almost like an autobiography of the Apostle Paul. He gives you insights into his life. And here's how the Apostle Paul viewed himself at the very beginning of ministry. He says this in uh, the passage 1 Corinthians, I am the least of the apostles. He said that because he was picked last. And so he always would refer to himself that way. But a few years later, he called himself this, that I am less than least of all of God's people. Huh, a little bit different. And then the last letter that he ever wrote, he said, I am the chief of sinners. Do you know what this is? This is the mark of spiritual maturity. This is the mark of spiritual maturity. This is someone who is following Jesus and they understand every day of their life that it's not about them. That it's not about control. It's not about the last word. That more and more it's literally about just loving God and serving his people every chance that you get. This is what ministry looks like and spiritual maturity looks like. There is no place like the church. Number six is this. Relationships are like crockpots, not microwaves. Um, in Hebrews, it says this. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as in the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. That phrase, to stir up one another, do you know what it means in the original language? This is great. It means to agitate. Some of you guys are like, I'm doing great at that. It literally means, and let us consider how to agitate one another, to not stay stagnant in that sense. 
And in eight years of being here, I had an expectation that, you know, social media, when you've got all these quote-unquote friends on Facebook or followers, it's this weird thing that our brain actually believes that we know and are connected to that many people. It's almost like we actually lie to ourselves and go, well, I'm not this. You know, I, don't, I have a ton of friends and I'm involved in community. Look at all of this. But the reality is what I've come to know is that I can almost count on one hand the core relationships from the very beginning of when I was saved, I'm talking friends that will be there at your bedside. And I had an expectation that relationships are like microwaves, like boop, 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 and then boop, it fosters. And can I just say this? Some of you are in a difficult season with parenting, with life, and with all of these things. And the tempting thing is to say this, I'm going to back up for a season. And now that may be right with a plan of stepping back in and a plan of restoration. But please listen. Anytime I hear the phrase, I'm just going to step back for a season, my heart breaks because I never see the day when it's stepping back in season. I'm telling you, get around God's people. Community group is awkward. And yes, it's difficult. And the kids and serving and all of those things. But please listen to me. The best investment that you can make is initiating and building up the relationships with God's people. With God's people. I'll never forget being with someone in our church. And our family was spending time with them on their farm. And it was in the evening. And he was counting cattle. And he was counting the cattle, and he said, I've got a problem. I'm missing I'm, my numbers off. And so then we drove around on the gator and then came around this bin, and he goes, huh, look at that. And it was a mama calf with a baby cow, and they were away from the herd. And he said, you see, that tells me that I have a problem. They're not with the herd. And any time... As 1 Peter says, we have an enemy going to and fro, seeking whom to devour. It is always someone who's in isolation. Relationships are hard, and you've got to learn to forgive. But by far, the most important thing that you can do in your walk with Jesus is to give yourself to the people of God. Give yourself to the people of God. Number seven is this. I am married to my wife, not this church. Ephesians 5 says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. And he gave himself up for her. There were times in my ministry where my family would get the worst part of me. Because I would give the best part of myself away. And I've come to know and understand that it's a lot like parenting. Courtney spoke to me one day when Roman was little and we were trying to figure this out. And she said, Jason, Roman has come into our marriage. We have not entered into his life. And I've come to know and understand that the best thing for my kids is for me to have a good marriage with my wife. And the same thing is true for being in leadership and in this ministry. And let me tell you something. 
The sanctification of my life is not being able to phone this in. To not being able to just phone this in and let it be fake and let it be phony. There's something different about standing up here and preaching and having your life laid bare before you and not compartmentalizing your life and just wanting to, quote, perform for that. And by God's grace and by the greatest person that I know, I mean, this woman is just the best person that I know. And Westside, you got to know that she's the reason why I've been here for eight years. And so to you, babe, I love you and I'm thankful for you, okay? Love you. The last thing is this, and the most important thing. The point of everything is to point to Jesus. Guys, that's it. The point of everything is to point to Jesus. In my marriage, in my parenting, everything that we do here, the goal of everything that we do as a church is to point to Jesus. And I have read hundreds of church growth books. I have read, I've been to, I don't even go to conferences anymore because I never hear them talk about this verse. Jesus gives us the strategy to reach the masses and to make disciples. And in John's gospel, Jesus says this, And when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people unto myself. That when you lift high the name of Jesus and everything that you do points to him, Jesus draws people to himself. That's why we hold Easter at a venue that not only can house the people that we have, but we raise money for the restoration of the Rogers. That's why we give away so much of our money each year to benevolence and to people in this town because generosity matters. Why? Because God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Why do we read the Bible and preach the Bible? Because Jesus said in Matthew 4, verse 4, man should not live upon bread alone, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Everything is all about Jesus. Westside, listen to me. It starts with Jesus. It sustains with Jesus. And it will end with Jesus. And this church will be known for one thing. And it is Jesus Christ. As the band comes and leads us in a close, my very first Sunday here, eight years ago, I quoted Charles Spurgeon's sermon to his congregation on his first Sunday. What's it going to be based on? What's it going to be about? What's the goal of this thing? He said these words, and I quote them eight years later and believe them just as much. I would propose that the subject of the ministry of this house, as long as this platform shall stand, and as long as this house shall be frequented by worshipers, shall be the person of Jesus Christ. I am never ashamed to avow myself of one particular theology. But if I am asked to say, dear pastor, what is the creed of your church? I must reply, the creed is Christ in Christ alone.
That is it. And that is all we have. So Westside, eight years. So much has changed. So many people baptized. Do you understand that on a given Sunday, what goes on in Kidside is two times the attendance of what was in the chapel on a Sunday? I mean, God is doing incredible things. What is the main thing that I would lay before you in eight years? It's simply this. That following Jesus is a long obedience in the same direction. (laughs) It's not extraordinary. There's times for it. There are times when it is incredible of seeing what God is doing. But listen... What I want now on the last half and the back half of my ministry is, is I want to be faithful to the call of Jesus Christ. That I want a long obedience in the same direction. I want to finish well pastoring one church. I want to finish well being married to one woman. I want to finish well being a dad to those kids. I want to finish well living life with these people for a long time. So that at the end, we can hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Westside, if I were to tell you in the beginning, I would have promised you visions of grandeur, man. And I would have had a stinking clue what I was talking about. But do you know what I would tell you now? Embrace the ordinary. Mama, don't give up. Day in day out. Pray for that baby. Have those Bible studies. Dad, initiate prayer time. Work is not that important. It's really not. Love those kids. Invest in that marriage. Read that Bible. Pray every day. And in the end, give God all the broken pieces so he can turn them into masterpieces. This is the life of what it is to follow Jesus. Long obedience in the same direction. Heavenly Father, God, we come before you today grateful for all that you have done and all that you're going to do. Oh God, I believe that what you are doing in this church and what you have done, God, I believe that the best days lie ahead. That we have not begin to understand or to see all that God would have for us here at Westside Church, the life change, all of those things are yet to come. So God, may we reflect, may we remember your past faithfulness, but may that spur us to trust and renew what you are going to do in the future. God, what I'm praying for is It's just an army of people who have the Spirit of God in their heart, a Bible in their hand, the gospel on their lips, and that they want to invest in other people and raise them up in their life and say, I was right where you were at. My marriage was here. Our kids were there. But we just kept trusting God and we kept moving forward. And God, I pray for the day that when we've, we're already starting to see the fruit, but those babies that are in the nursery will one day be leaders in this church. And oh God, I pray for that day 
for the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. God, send us laborers, disciple makers. Give us a fresh vision. We pray all of these things in the holy and the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen.